Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello everyone and welcome into this festive edition of La Liga Lowdown. I'm your host, Jim McTeer, and this episode is rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157, where it's coming to you on the Thursday on Christmas Eve. That's because we had some midweek football in La Liga and we're going to be dissecting the match day 15 action for you right here. We've got an interview with Barcelona fan and journalist Roman de Arquer and with Real Madrid fan and journalist Kane Savani. They're both coming up. We've also got the lowdown on Osasuna's struggles and a listener question. But first, we're going to start with Atletico Madrid and their latest victory as they stay top of the table. They're joint top with Real Madrid but do have two games in hand and this week's win was a big one as they went away to Real Sociedad and won 2-0 on Tuesday. Mario Hermoso and Marcos Llorente with the second half goals. This was a tough loss for Real Sociedad as they've now failed to win any of their past nine but for Atleti, this was a statement victory. And we're going to break it down now with Jeremy Berrin, the man behind the Into the Calderon Atletico Madrid website on SP Nation. To start with Jeremy, to win away at Real Sociedad, I mean, just how massive is that? Yeah, three pretty big points for Atletico in San Sebastian on Tuesday night, Ewan. And it lays down a marker at this point in the season for Atletico. Los Colchoneros will be atop the table on Christmas Day. Level on points with Real Madrid. And though Madrid have the head-to-head advantage, Atletico have two games in hand. The way in which the team both began and ended this game, the ways in which the team began and ended this game were very encouraging. Los Colchoneros continuing to distance themselves from the Madrid derby debacle 10 days ago. Three big points at a stadium in which Atletico typically do not play well. Three losses from the previous four meetings at Real Sociedad entering Tuesday night. Yeah, this has been a tough venue for Atleti and for most teams this season as Real Sociedad had been so good, but Atletico completely limited them. They had just one shot on target. So what was it that Simeone and Atleti did to neutralize them? I think the key to Atletico's defensive success on Tuesday night was limiting David Silva's role was limiting the space on offer for him and who he could see in front of him. No Mikel Oyatsabal in the team still, but Silva did make his return after a month out. 
And though he did take plenty of nice touches, there were some nice passages of play that went through him. He only created one chance in 74 minutes, 65 touches and did not attempt a shot. So the three central defenders, I mean, all of them played very well on Tuesday night. Hermoso got the first goal. Felipe and Stefan Savage did an excellent job. Uh, William Jose managed only two touches in the box during his time on the pitch. Port two was invisible throughout the game. So kind of cutting off Silva's support and managing him within those tight spaces, those were the that was the key defensive strategy for Atletico that helped them take the three points. And then the goals came from Mario Hermoso and Marcos Llorente, two former Real Madrid players who Simeone has got the most out of by adjusting their positions. That must be quite satisfying for Atleti fans, right? Oh, you love to see former Real Madrid prospects scoring for Atletico. You love to see it. Uh, we've talked a lot about Llorente over the course of the calendar year. His fifth league goal on Tuesday night, a left-footed bullet from the edge of the box, a great goal. But I go back to Mario Hermoso, who got the opening goal in this game, his first league goal for Atletico, his second goal this month, however. The first one came against Salzburg in the Champions League. And I just go back to how Hermoso has developed so rapidly over the last the last five or six months into an indisputable starter, into a key member of this of this defense, playing as the third center back in this 3-4-1-2 that Simeone is rolling with. Both players have undergone a transformation under Simeone. And Real Madrid could not get the best out of either of these players. There never really was a place for Hermoso uh, within Los Blancos, but for Llorente, for Marcos to become this kind of player after a year, a year under Simeone is still pretty stunning and has to be... Uh, Questions should be asked of Zidane for so readily and eagerly sanctioning his exit as Simeone has gotten something out of him that nobody else really has to this point in his career. Last one for you, Jeremy. I mean, it's not all good news this week for Atletico because it's been announced that Kevin Trippier is now banned for 10 weeks for breaking the English FA's rules on gambling and insider information, apparently telling friends about his move to Atletico last summer before he should have. How big of a blow is it if they're without Trippier for 10 weeks? Yeah, so the Trippier situation is still, I think, pretty fluid. Um, I think that this 10-week ban is categorically outrageous. Imagine if England's FA took racism this seriously. Uh, It is yet another example of the FA's desire to prosecute uh, these petty incidents um, along with the attempt to make um, make an example out of Edison Cavani, this is the FA's... Kieran Trippier has become the FA's way to make an example out of those who decide to, to, to take bets, to, to get insider information and make money off gambling. Particularly rich, as the FA has been in bed with bookmakers for, for years upon years and still have an existing deal with Bet365 to stream FA Cup games. It's a huge blow for Atletico if the ban is upheld. If this 10-week ban actually goes into effect, Atletico can still appeal to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. I expect Atletico will do so. Trippier himself can appeal. 
And we still need to know whether FIFA have actually signed off on it and whether the Spanish Football Federation will communicate um, the punishment, the decision to Atletico. As far as Atletico are concerned, Trippier is still available for selection. So we'll have to see here. Assuming for a second, just for the sake of argument, that the ban is upheld. For me, it's most likely that Simeone sticks Sal on the right-hand side. Either that, or he will just swap Carrasco over from the left-hand side to the right-hand side. Carrasco is primarily right-footed, after all, and he did play a bit on the right during his first stint with Los Colchoneros. That would open up a place for Renan Lodi to re-enter the team as the as the left wing back, while Carrasco would take over for Trippier down the right-hand side. But there is still a bit to come from this situation. I don't expect we're done hearing about it. Thanks, Jeremy. We'll see what happens with that. Maybe it will just lead to a glorious return for a few months of one friend. I don't know. We'll see. We're going to move on now and bring you our sore throat game of the week. This is a game that might have flown under the radar, but that was actually great fun and that produced some brilliant commentary clips. Sam Leverage then is here to talk us through Elche 2, Osasuna 2. Over to you, Sam. Heading into this tie, neither Elche nor Asasuna had won in either of their last eight matches, so three points was crucial for both sides. Not one of La Liga's glamour ties, but there was plenty to watch and take in at the Estadio Martínez Valero. And it was Osasuna who took the early lead. It was ten minutes in when Ruben García opened the scoring. De juego, primera parte, magnífica la contra, magnífica la resolución en el Martínez Valero, el Cero, Club Atlético Sasuna 1. As we heard there from Ondacero, it was magnificent, a magnificent counter-attack. Some great play by Osasuna, and they really countered and surprised Elche. They took the lead, and it was one that they were desperate to cling on to. Osasuna made a series of defensive errors of late, but they kept hold of that scoreline until the break. And it was only in the second half when Elche could hit back, and they did. It was Fidel who equalised. Osasuna was still in the tie, though, and it was Darko Barasanac with another counter-attack, again exploiting that weakness in the Elche system. And as we can hear here, there was four on two as Osasuna broke forward. Less than two weeks ago, Osasuna had taken the lead against Real Valladolid and only then gone on to lose the game with two late goals from the home team. And again, that would happen here as Elche would hit back with an equaliser. It wasn't one that anyone saw coming though. As we tune in here to Elche TV to hear how their commentators were discussing the lack of depth on the Elche bench and how no one could really make an impact, Guido Gariel came on and just minutes later, he scored. La sensación es totalmente buenísima, pero es que el banquillo, el fondo armario del Elche es el que tiene. Es lo que estamos viendo ahora con Nino, lo que estamos viendo con Víctor Rodríguez, eh, Carrillo, que aún no ha estado hasta el momento. Es que no hay más fondo mira, de armario. Pues mira, le, le acabo de invocar a un... Tendrá que marcar todavía, Guido, para callarme. El Chay está Fidel, 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 la quiere pedir Guido Carrillo, el balón la deja pasar, se le queda Guido. Ahí lo tienes, ahí lo tienes, ahí lo tienes. Guido, mira, lo que decía. Look, look, there you have it, Guido, he shut you up. 
that's what the Elche guys were saying as they were celebrating there. And it's easy to see why they were quite so happy with the point. It was a big point for them and Osasuna understandably were furious, furious because of some controversial refereeing. In the first half, they had a penalty shout, which was turned down. Then again, in the second half, Inigo Pérez was sent off for a late dive in injury time, which earned him a second yellow card. And it didn't quite stop there either. On the final whistle, the coach, Diego Barrasate, was throwing his arms up in the air in rage. And then even in the tunnel, some of the club's officials, the sporting director, Braulio Jesus Vázquez Benítez, had to be held back by police as he was shouting, this is a disgrace, we're going to Segunda. Another official, the club's secretary, Jose Antonio Prieto Castro, broke a hand sanitizing station as he smashed it with his fist, knocking it off the wall. Police had to intervene and everyone in the tunnel was furious. There were some heated scenes there and you can see why. Orsasuna now struggling right at the very bottom of La Liga, down in 19th and two points off safety. You have to feel for them with Chimi Avila having been injured, but then there are also plenty of questions for Arasate to answer too. Ante Budemir on the bench for much of this tie certainly could have made an impact, and you have to wonder when Osasuna's patience might start to run out with their coach. Yeah, it's not looking good at all for Osasuna, so hopefully they can start scoring some goals soon. And not just because I absolutely loved that the Navarre radio station played Star Wars music there to celebrate the goals. Okay, thanks for that, Sam, for that roundup of the best commentary clips from that game. We've, of course, got several more games to cover in this episode, and after the break, it's time to discuss Real Madrid and Barcelona. That's coming up after this short pause. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. 
LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. We've discussed Atletico Madrid already, their joint top of the table, and their joint top with Real Madrid, who overcame Granada 2-0 on Wednesday night with a Casemiro header and then a late Benzema second in stoppage time. We've got Kian Savani, another friend from SB Nation, now from the Managing Madrid site. He's here to go over the main storylines from this one. And Kian, you know, Granada were 7th in La Liga last year. This was maybe a tougher game than most made it out to be, so... How do you think Real Madrid coped with this challenge? Well, maybe not as comfortably as I thought it, thought they would. You know, with all due respect to Granada, who are a fantastic organized defensive team. They've done well in Europe, all things considered. They did well last season. Um, maybe that's because my perception of how Real Madrid were dealing with the press was a bit tainted at how well they did it against Abar in the first half. It wasn't as comfortable tonight against Granada. And I, I think that Granada deserve a... a a lot of credit for that. Their press was great. Their transition defense was great. They made Varane really uncomfortable. They made Courtois uncomfortable, but they also made other players uncomfortable, like Mendy under pressure. Um, Asensio had a bad giveaway in the second half. So I think as a whole, and Zidane said in the postgame press that, you know, we dealt with the press a bit better in the second half. In the first half, it was difficult. I think some of that will probably have to do with Granada being tired, which is natural. But... Um, I would I would say all things considered, this is a great run. Six games in a row now where Real Madrid have won. They've conceded just two goals in that stretch. And Granada was always going to be difficult. It wasn't going to be easy anyway. And they, they did well. You mentioned Varane being uncomfortable. So let's talk about that because he's been making quite a few mistakes when on the ball of late. And a mistake in the first 30 seconds of this one set Antonio Puertas up for a really good chance. What's going on with Varane? It's a great question. You know, I, I was I was looking back at his passing accuracy, particularly his long balls out of the back. Um, it's actually it hasn't been great among like the top elite passers in in the in the league and for quite some time now. This season, it's at seventy eight percent, and that's a pretty low mark compared to like someone like Sergio Ramos who's at ninety one. And the reason I kind of bring that up is that because like for a while now we have this thing in our minds that Van is a great center back with the ball at his feet, and I don't think that's that's incorrect technically. I, I just think like there are moments where if he's pressured, and sometimes in this game when he wasn't even pressured, he gave the ball away. Um, he's he gets uncomfortable, and specifically after that that turning point for me was the Manchester City game where he hit, he makes two big mistakes, and since then he's had some of these shaky moments on the ball. So I don't know if I can explain it. Some of these things are mental. I do wonder what the butterfly effect of Puertas scoring that chance in the box within 30 seconds would have been and um, and Real Madrid dodged a bullet there but what happened with Baran I don't know a lot of this is kind of inexplicable because even times when he's not pressured he's been making those silly mistakes so I think it's just mental with him he needs to have a good stretch where he 
where he gets his passing under control and he, and he, and he feels a little bit more comfortable and then work his way up from there. A big turning point in this game was the injury to Rodrigo and the introduction of Marco Asensio. Just what were your thoughts on that Rodrigo injury? Because it didn't look good. And then what did you think about Asensio when he came on? Because he was quite busy when he was on the pitch. Yeah, from the moment that Rodrigo got injured and that exact moment where Asensio, his number gets called up, he's coming on the field to replace Rodrigo. I can tell you my feelings and I can probably say that it, it encompassed many Real Madrid fans. Just putting a sweeping generalization over all of us here. But I think this is the general sentiment. Rodrigo, up until that point, was having a great game. Um, he was a source of offense. He was good defensively too. He His cut-ins from the left where he can pass or shoot, they were causing Granada some problems. And um, he doesn't get to play on the left much. You know, that's his ideal position, really. I mean, that's where he made his name in Brazil. And he never really got to play there for Real Madrid because he actually played decent on the right whenever Zidane put him there and because Hazard and Vinicius are on the left. So there's not much room. And then, unfortunately, has a, a really bad injury where he just lands awkwardly on his right. And we're not sure what the diagnosis is yet, but getting stretch stretched off is not... Ideal, obviously. <clears throat> so Asensio comes in, and Asensio has a has a, a knack for going missing. You don't notice him, um, and I'm and I, I am a little bit surprised. But by the end of this game, Asensio's numbers were better than Rodrigo's. I mean, he was involved offensively. He had three key passes. Um, he also had an assist. He nearly scored one of the goals of the season, and it's <clears throat> it's funny when you look at it that way because. Asensio kind of did all of his damage really within like two minutes, uh, a two-minute span where he has the entire sequence where he does he does that back heel, hits the post. He wakes up. He has a cutback to Fede Valverde. Should have been an assist. Fede's shot is saved. Uh, and then the assist to Casemiro was, was really pretty because he makes a run in the left half space. He gets the ball from Mendy. And then he just kind of bounces off the defender and still is able to put in a perfect ball with nice nice power and dip on Casemiro's head. And then he also had a moment in the, towards the end of the game where he also has a dribbling sequence and shoots over the bar from distance. So I am pleasantly surprised at Asensio's performance. I think you need to see more of this version of Asensio. It was great to see. Thanks, Kian. Interesting stuff there. We'll switch across the classical divide now to talk about Barcelona. They won 3-0 away at Real Valladolid this midweek and it was one of their best performances of the season. Goals from Clement Longley, Martin Brathwaite and Lionel Messi got the job done and they hit the post three times too. Our Barcelona man Roman de Arquer joins us now and let's start with Barcelona's formation because Ronald Koeman played three at the back and it seemed to work well, no? It was definitely a very efficient system, at least for this game. Um, it was more like a 5-2-2-1, two, two, I'd say. Uh, three centre-backs, then right in front of them was Pjanic with uh, Frenkie de Jong and in front of them you'd have... Uh, Messi with Pedri, both kind of at the same level, of course moving forward to support Brathwaite in attack. And then of course those wings were completely uh, occupied by Serginho Dest and Jordi Alba, who had complete freedom to go up and down as they wanted. And as a matter of fact, that allowed um, Barca to open up a lot of spaces in Valladolid's defense. You could see that their line of four was always spread out, and so Barca uh, could find ways to get into the box. And it really helped out because Barca in previous games were just, you know, attacking down through the middle. They were struggling uh, to get past the defense. They were struggling to get good opportunities on goal. And this allowed to spread out the, the 
rivals defense a lot more and Barca really made a good use of this and as a matter of fact the second goal is a great example where Serginho this you know goes down that right wing and just makes a classic cross where the number nine is there to just push it in so I think this really worked well uh, for this game against Valladolid. You say for this game against Valladolid looking to the future then do you think we'll see more of this free central defender system? I certainly think we could. I mean, it worked pretty well in this game. Uh, but of course, as Lenglet said after the game, it's a formation they've barely had a chance to, to, to work on, to, to learn properly, you know. He actually said that they're just trying this during the games because they don't have much time to train. It's a very packed calendar with games midweek, games on the weekend. So uh, it still needs a lot of work. Because during that game, you could actually tell how Valladolid were having some really good counter-attacking positions. And luckily for Barcelona, they were incapable of carrying them forward. They either made some sort of mistake or, or Barca was uh, good at recovering the ball. So I have my doubts whether it would work so efficiently against a stronger side who has quality players and who might really just uh, make a mess of that defense in those counter-attacks. So it's something that needs to be worked on. But of course, I think Kuban... We'll, we'll give it a shot sooner or later again because it definitely uh, gave some uh, good advantages for Barcelona, especially in attack. Yeah, in the attack, Messi and Pedri were particularly good. We know all about Messi, but let's talk about Pedri. Everyone's been saying he's doing well for his age, but it's more than that now, isn't it? Is Pedri one of the very best overall players at Barcelona right now? I have no doubt, <laughs> Pedri is definitely one of the best players at the moment in this squad and I think no one can argue that. I mean, when Pedri is on the field, it's a different team. When he's off the field, you can see there's something lacking in attack. Uh, that creative spark uh, depends uniquely on Messi, but when Pedri is there, it takes a bit of weight off the Argentinian's shoulders and he has also that capability of creating, of, of, of freeing uh, teammates and it's just impressive to see how he's adapted so quickly because let's not forget last season he was playing in Segunda División with Las Palmas and now he's playing against the best teams, against the best players and he's uh, proven to anyone that with quality, with hard work you can come and you can succeed and the best thing about this is that Pedri still has a lot of room for improvement whether it's um, in terms of decision making, whether it's in terms of uh, physically improving his, his, his appearance and his strength and also tactically he can get better so he can just become a wonderful player for Barcelona in the future if he keeps uh, playing at this rate and he keeps working hard because Pedri is just an unbelievable talent and we're so lucky to have him this season. For Real Valladolid, their best player was a former Barca player, Jordi Masip. That kind of says it all, doesn't it? Pretty much. I mean, Valladolid didn't have a good night. Um, they had some good counter-attacking options, as I said before, in the first half, but they didn't make the most of them. In the second half, they had more control, but of course, the score was already 3-0. I think Barcelona kind of uh, brought down the intensity. They let Valladolid have the initiative and were comfortable defending and maybe trying to find their chances in those counter-attacks. But Valladolid weren't generating too much danger. And as you said, Masip was the best player. And as a matter of fact, it often happens that Masip tends to have really good games against Leo Messi, makes some incredible saves, and he did it once again. He was definitely Valladolid's MVP for the night. Thanks, Roman, for the lowdown there. Barcelona weren't the only team to try back three this midweek. Valencia did so too in their match against Sevilla, although that plan was thwarted slightly early on with an injury 
to Gabriel Paulista in the opening minutes. They managed to frustrate Sevilla a lot though, eventually losing 1-0 when a long-range Schussel shot was quite poorly clawed at by Jami Dominic and it settled into the net. There were reports in Bilbao this week that Gaiska Garitano was also going to adopt a back three in order to keep Unai Nunez in the team. In the end, he didn't do that and his usual formation was enough for Athletic to get a very decent 1-1 draw away at Villarreal. There was a lot of interest on the Athletic bench for this one because Nico Williams, the 18-year-old brother of Iñaki Williams, was in the squad. He didn't get on the pitch but I'm sure that moment will come soon and it will be special when it does. Let's move on to sum up a few of the other results from this midweek match day. On Wednesday night, we had two regional derbies, one north, one south. In the Bass Derby in the north, Alaves hosted Ibar and the game got going with an Olympic goal from Pedro Leon, straight in from a corner. Ibar could have extended their early lead there, but they let Alaves off the hook and they paid the price for it because Edgar Mendes and then Davison scored at the end of the first half for a 2-1 scoreline that stuck all the way to the end. In the south, there was an Andalusian derby between Real Betis and Cadiz at the Benito Villamarín. Cadiz have been struggling in recent weeks, but kept out Betis for most of this match. That was until Guido Rodriguez netted the only goal of the game 20 minutes from time. It's a big three points for Manuel Pellegrini's side. In the capital, meanwhile, Hitafe hosted Celta Vigo and they were able to slow down Eduardo Cudet's in-form side just a little bit. The match was lively at the start because Damien Suarez scored a goal of the season contender and then he made sure it was worth nothing by giving away a silly penalty that Iago Aspas converted. That was Celta Vigo's only shot and target of the game and they were well and truly hitafied in this 1-1 draw. Then the last match we've not spoken about yet was Huesca versus Levante and it's almost hard to say what happened there because it was a difficult match to watch, literally. There was so much fog dropping in and out of the game but behind that fog Huesca took a lead with a heavy Antiveros penalty, but they let it slip to end up drawing 1-1 because of a Gonzalo Malero equaliser. It means Huesca now have 9 draws in the league this season, that's the most in the division. We're going to finish off this episode now with a listener question, this time it's from Lavoje or Captain Koki on Twitter and the question is the quality in the top two in La Liga may have decreased, but it also seems that the quality of the other teams has increased in La Liga, and it looks to be the same in the Segunda. How do you think this increased balance in quality between the top teams and the smaller teams has affected Spanish football? To answer this, we've got Paco Paul. Well, I think it's the best news for Spanish football in quite a while, even if the current model still relies heavily on Barca and Real Madrid dominating, because that's just how the system works. Remember, both Barca and Madrid earn the most money on TV rights and have a competitive advantage over the rest, but the balance has increased slowly but steadily in the last decade. For example, we no longer have leagues with teams reaching 100 points, the middle class have ramped up their game and even the humblest side can beat anyone in a good day. We obviously have Atletico Madrid fighting for everything, but if we take a glance at that second tier, we can find Sevilla, 
Real Sociedad, Villarreal, Granada, Valencia, until their owner decided to destroy his own project last year, Getafe's last two seasons, and so on. The overall level of the league has increased, and that provides a better show for any casual viewer and for hardcore fans. I'd say has gotten to the point where mid-table Spanish teams would fight toe-to-toe -to -toe with European contenders in the Premier League and actually have a shot beating them. La Liga, to sum it up, isn't perfect, but in my view it's striving to get there someday. And we should give high praise to the teams for not only looking for quality players in every squad, but also for improving overall their scouting, their inner structures, physical training and professional management while keeping their financial fair play under check. And something similar is also happening in Segunda, which can be absolutely ruthless with any team and even in some cases be even more competitive than first division. Thanks Paco and thanks to Captain Koki for the question too. And since it's the end of the show, thanks to all of the other contributors. That's Jeremy Barron, Sam Leverage, Keen Savani and Roman de Arker. I've been your host, Hugh McTeer, and thanks a lot for listening. And I hope you all have an enjoyable and safe holiday period this next week. We'll be back after Match Day 16 for our next recap episode. Until then, have a good weekend.